So today, we are completing our series called Risky Faith. And we have been um, looking this whole month at what was recorded in the scripture on the life of Elisha. And this last one uh, we'll close this series is today. It's from 2 Kings 5, and it's about Elisha and Naaman. All right? So I'm going to, it's all of the whole chapter, 2 Kings 5. So I'm going to give you just a 30,000-foot highlight reel of the, the account in Scripture. And then we're going to dive into some of the details and see what God has to say about it to us. Okay, so the story is Naaman was this great man. He was highly regarded. He was a commander in the army, very wealthy, had everything that you would need if you, if you, uh, you know, the standards of the world had everything that you would need. But he had leprosy. And this was sort of his, the thorn in his flesh. He had leprosy. And so his wife had a young Jewish girl who was a slave, and she was talking to the wife one day, and she suggested that Naaman should go and see the prophet Elisha and be healed in her home, in her homeland. And so Naaman hears this and thinks, well, if there's any opportunity for me to get rid of this leprosy, I'm going to try it. And so he asks his king, which is the king of Syria, to write a letter to the king of Israel and, and says he's going to send the commander of his army to be healed. And so Naaman says, okay, I'm going to go. He sends this letter ahead of him. He packs a whole bunch of gold and goods and clothing and everything that he needs. And he begins to, to journey toward the king of Israel. But when the king of Israel gets this letter, he responds in the scripture. He says, who, I can't cure leprosy. What, what is this guy talking about? I don't even understand. I can't, he must be wanting to pick a fight with me. That's actually what the scripture says that the king of Israel believes is happening. And so Elisha hears that the king is in turmoil over the, this request. And the king is, is kind of laughing at the fact that someone is coming to be healed of leprosy. And he, Elisha says, listen, just tell him, send him over to my house. I'll take care of business. He says, send him over to my house. And so um, Naaman goes over to Elisha's house, and Elisha says, go dip in the Jordan River seven times, and you'll be healed. And the scripture uh, kind of talks about how Naaman is, is just super annoyed, because he did not think that this was how this whole ordeal was going to go down. He, in fact, Naaman, Elisha doesn't even want any of the, the gifts that Naaman brought. He just says, go dip in the Jordan River and you'll miraculously be healed. And Naaman actually packs up his things and says, this is crazy, I'm going home. Leprosy and all, I'll take it back with me. And the servants that, that went with him basically talk him into at least trying it. Just go do it. If it doesn't work, then it doesn't matter, but at least you said you tried. And so Naaman begrudgingly goes to the Jordan River. And I can just, just imagine in your mind's eye, he's probably like, one, see, two, see. You know, like he's just yelling up to his servants. Nothing's happening. And he, and he just, he does kind of begrudgingly what Elisha tells him to do. And then, as you probably know, the end of the story, at the last dip, but not a moment before, he dips seven times, and miraculously, he is healed. Because our God is the God who does miracles. 
And he comes up out of the water and he realizes he is healed and he humbly declares that this God that they're talking about really is God. And he goes back to Elisha and he says, I have all of these things I brought with me, all of the wealth in the world. What do you want? And Elisha says, nothing. I refuse anything. I don't want any of your gifts. But Gehazi, who is Elisha's servant, secretly chases Naaman down and says, well, we'll take a little. <laughs> and Naaman says, okay, and gives him a, a little portion of the, the um, wealth he had brought with him. And he takes a small gift. And when Elisha confronts Gehazi, uh, Gehazi lies to Elisha and says, I didn't go anywhere. I didn't do anything because he knew how much Elisha was against receiving gifts for miracles. But God had revealed the truth to Elisha, and actually Gehazi immediately leaves Elisha's presence and develops leprosy. And so the leprosy transferred to Elisha's servant, Gehazi, because of his deception. So Naaman, he made a lot of mistakes in this account of his quest for a miracle. He made a lot of mistakes. How many of you ever made a mistake? You made a mistake this morning. Everybody but Joel. Joel never makes any mistakes. I just want to publicly say that from the... <laughs> it, was, it was an affirmation, not even a joke. He can't even take it. All right. So <laughs> I think we can learn from some of Naaman's mistakes today. And so this is what I, I thought we could talk about this morning is a few mistakes that Naaman made that we can avoid. The first one is this. Naaman offered the wrong price for a miracle. Naaman offered the wrong price for a miracle. So in 2 Kings 5.5, 5, as I mentioned, it says that Naaman took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. That's about 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold. Even at today's rate of exchange, that is a fortune. And so he brought so much goods and wealth and money with him. And basically what this is showing us is Naaman is willing to pay any price to be released from his affliction. I mean, he is willing to pay any price. It's interesting because the Hebrew word often translated leprosy doesn't refer to one specific disease. It actually means the symptom of scaly skin. That's what leprosy means. And so today we might call that psoriasis or eczema or fungal disease. And in that culture, scaly skin was considered unclean. It was associated with death. So if you had leprosy, you had to be quarantined. Quarantined. You were not able to participate in regular life. You had to be set apart from the rest of the village or the rest of the community. And in fact, in some uh, theologians say that lepers had to walk into communities and shout out loud that they had leprosy. I have a toe fungus. I mean, can you imagine? Stay away from me. Because they had to say that, that what they had, this leprosy, was contagious. It was something that they didn't want to spread around. And in the Bible, it's interesting because leprosy actually shows up in several places, but it's often attached to a sin issue. It's often attached to a sin issue. Miriam became a leper in Numbers 12 because she was critical and envious. King Uzziah became a leper because of pride in 2 Chronicles 26. At the end of this account, as I mentioned, Gehazi, Elisha's servant, becomes a leper because of his greed and because of his deception. Now, the message that God is trying to send to us in the New Testament is not that if you sin, you're going to get eczema. 
okay? That's not what he's saying. But the message of leprosy being associated with sin is that both leprosy and sin do the same thing to us. Sin alienates us. Sin keeps us far from relationship with God. Sin derails our relationships, and it puts us in in places where we are disconnected from people that we love or people that we want to be with. Sin derails us from the path that God would want us to walk. It, it, It puts us on a on a path that is not our future and not our destiny that he has spelled out for us. And so what the scripture is saying is that just like when you have leprosy, when you have sin in your life, these are the things that can affect you. Now, Naaman's desperation to receive a miracle, his, his desperation to be delivered from this leprosy and to be free from sin, that is not his mistake. In fact, that is correct, That's the part that he got right. We all need to be at the point where we would give everything we had to be healed of the thing that keeps us from relationship with God. That we would give all the wealth that we had, that we would give all the circumstances that we had, that we would give all the reputation and all the status and everything that we feel like we've earned in our life, we would give all of it up if that was what was keeping us from our relationship with God. In fact, in Luke 18, Jesus tells a story about a rich young ruler who asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers, well, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Give it all up. Give it all up so there's nothing between you and God, nothing more important, nothing that you're clinging onto harder and surer than your relationship with God. So where Naaman made the mistake, it wasn't that he packed all of his wealth to come and give to get out of this leprosy. Where Naaman made his mistake is that he believed that this large sum of money could somehow persuade God into the miracle. He believed that that somehow if he brought this wealth, that he could buy his miracle. And I think where we make the same mistake is that we believe maybe our giving or or our serving or our good works or the way that we've righteously lived our life is somehow going to persuade God into the miracle we need. Now, make no mistake. We cannot purchase the precious blood of Jesus. Jesus already paid it all in full. And he is so much more interested in our surrendered will and our surrendered heart than anything we ever could have to bring to him. And so we cannot make the same mistake that Naaman did to offer a price for a miracle. All right, here's the second mistake he made. Naaman trusted the wrong person for the miracle. So we see in the scripture that the servant, um, told, the servant girl told Naaman's wife that he should go see the prophet in Israel, but somehow that got lost in translation because what Naaman heard as the commander of the army is that, okay, the prophet, well, he doesn't have any authority. The person who has the authority in the country would be the king. And so he translates the message incorrectly. In fact, the scripture says that the servant girl said, go see the prophet Elijah, and that Naaman decides to write, 
a letter to the king. We won't blame that on how well men hear their wives, but we'll just, <laughs> we'll just slip that one by. That's not a sermon point. All right. But Naaman assumed if healing was to be found in Israel, it would come from the greatest, most powerful person. And so he writes this letter to the king. And this is what the king responds in verse 7. I want us to look at this. As soon as the king of Israel reads the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. The king believed that they were trying to set him up to fail. Because he knew right out the gate that he could not heal anyone from leprosy. Naaman was trying to trust the wrong person for the miracle. Naaman didn't need the king of Israel. He didn't need the king of Syria. He needed the king of kings. He needed the Lord of lords. He needed the almighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the king above all kings. He knew he needed a king. Okay, he was half right, but he didn't get the right king. He needed the king of kings. I'm glad that excites several of you on this side of the sanctuary. <laughs> he needed the king of kings. And like Naaman, I think here's our mistake. We look to men for the miracle. Maybe unintentionally, but we look all over the place for the bailout. We want someone to come in and sweep us up and save the day. And we hope for the doctor or the banker or the boss to show up with the miracle. That, that special someone that comes in and changes everything about your life. That, that bonus check, that friend that will have just the right answer. But I want you to know this morning that men will always, always, always let us down. But Jesus will never fail us. Jesus will never, ever fail us. So I need to ask you this morning, who are you hoping that's coming to fix your broken situation? Who are you hoping is coming? Who are you hoping is coming to fix your complicated life? Because don't get caught in the trap of trusting men for the miracle. Don't get caught in that trap the way Naaman did. All right, the third thing. Naaman wanted to control the way that the miracle unfolded. Naaman wanted to control the way the miracle unfolded. So Naaman gets rejected by the king, and Elisha catches wind of this, and he tells Naaman to come see him. And remember, we've been studying the life of Elijah. We've been talking about how God had appointed these kings so that they weren't acting the way that God, uh, but they weren't acting the way God intended. So then he said, well, the kings aren't getting it done, so now I'll allow the prophets to show the character of who I am. So really in God's kingdom, the prophets were the kings, but Naaman was looking at it in the natural, not in the supernatural. So I want to read verses 10 through 12. This is when Naaman, he goes to visit. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots. You can imagine, it's this big show. And he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Now, I love this. Catch it. Elisha doesn't even go to the door himself. He sends a messenger. <laughs> he sends his messenger. Oh, yeah, that guy's here. Um, commander of the army in Syria. Hmm, no big deal. Go tell him, dip in the water seven times. <laughs> And this messenger comes to the door, and he says, go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord as God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. 
Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And so he turned off and he went in a rage. Have you ever had this kind of conversation with God? I just want you to be honest with yourself in a moment. Jesus, this is not how I expected you to work. I thought you were going to come out, wave your hand over me, and everything would be better. Jesus, I will do anything but that. I'll go anywhere but there. That is why I did this, to escape that. Jesus, when I asked for your help, I expected there to be a position to open up at work. Remember, I asked you to help me with my finances. That means when I win this Powerball, you know, like this will solve everything. Remember, I can come up with the solution. I'll just tell you the simple solution for my complicated mess. If you would just make her like me, we would be better. My spouse is not riding in on a white horse yet. Hello. You know, we're just saying to the Lord. I don't, I don't actually approve playing the lottery. Sorry, that might have been a bad example. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's this idea of saying, God, I have the solution. I have the solution to the mess. And if you could just do it the way that I am telling you, we would be okay. Everything will just work out okay. Please, just trust me. <laughs> And we sort of have this conversation with God that's backwards. And Naaman mistakenly rejects the message from God because it's not what he thought he would hear. He had this preconceived idea, the way God would work. And when God wasn't meeting his standards, he became uncompliant. You know, we are often unprepared for the answers that we receive from God. I believe that often we ask God for a solution, we ask God for a miracle, but the answers he gives us frequently don't look like answers, they look like problems. They, they look like trouble. They cause this deep soul wrestling, they, they cause us to expose our sins and doubts and fears. They're not what we expect, and we often don't even understand how one is corresponding to the prayer of the other. Let me give you some examples. If we ask God, maybe you've prayed this prayer before, help me love X person in my life. Help me love these people. Help me love this family member that's difficult. Help me love my child. Help me love my spouse. Help me love them more than I love myself. This is what we should expect to receive. We receive answers that force us to give unexpected attention to people so we can learn how to love them. If you're asking that God would give you more love for your toddler, that the toddler will probably throw more tantrums because that gives you opportunity to learn how to love them. These situations are often inconvenient. They're often irritating, but they help God answer the prayer for us. If we ask God for his kingdom to come in our lives and, and the world around us, what should we expect to receive? Answers that reveal our deep spiritual poverty because the kingdom, it says in Matthew 5, is given to the poor in spirit. If we ask God to help us stop serving money so that we can serve him more wholeheartedly, what should we expect to receive? Well, an uncomfortable amount of opportunities to give money away. 
an uncomfortable amount of opportunities, maybe more expenses that deplete our reserves that we've been stashing away, maybe answers that, that help push us to release our trust in money and cling to God. Often we get mixed up, God, give me more so I can give more. And God says, let's work out this heart issue first. <laughs> we can learn from Naaman's mistake here. When we ask God for a miracle, we don't get to tell him how the miracle gets to come. When we ask God for the miracle, we don't get to tell him how. But we have the opportunity to trust the giver of all miracles. We have the opportunity to trust that he knows what he's doing. All right, the fourth mistake Naaman made is he let pride hinder his obedience. Naaman let pride hinder his obedience. Now, Naaman, um, it's interesting, he considers his own homeland of Syria to have better water than the Jordan. And I can actually attest to that when I traveled, uh, Cindy and I and, and Cheryl, we traveled to the Jordan River, and I'll be honest, when they were like, there's the Jordan, I said, that's a muddy puddle. That's what I thought right there. Uh, the part that we were at, it was not like this lovely, flowing, beautiful moment. It was kind of muddy, and, and I don't know if that's what it was like then, but I remember feeling a little let down <laughs> from my inner monologue of what the Jordan River was. And so this is what Naaman, he's saying, listen, I know the waters of Jordan. I know the waters in my land. Uh, can't I just go home and dip in the water that I know is safe? And he allows his pride to keep him from obeying what God was telling him to do. But the deliverance of his leprosy wasn't in the water. In fact, the water had very little to do with the miracle. The procedure of dipping seven times was actually a Mesopotamian healing ritual. So he, um, this wasn't arbitrary. Uh, this is what people did then. It was often the case. And, and Elisha often would use procedures that were recognizable, that were familiar to people. But the difference, uh, even with this procedure that Elisha says, okay, go to the Jordan River, dip seven times, which is uh, something that, that you know, natural sort of doctors would tell people to do. They would have this sort of spiritual significance to it. But typically what happens is the, um, the prophet would then stand there and like say things over, between every dip and over the person. And that was the thing that just created the healing. But what's different is that Elisha didn't even go to the river. Elisha didn't even come out of his house. I mean, he just pulled up and he yelled something out the door. <laughs> Tell the messenger, go dip seven times. And so Naaman is feeling pretty ripped off from his miracle. He's saying, yeah, yeah, I've heard of people being dipped seven times, but, but that, even the prophets there and they're saying whatever it takes to get you to healing. Elisha didn't have to go to the river. He didn't even have to come out of his house. And you know why? Because the power wasn't in Elisha. The power wasn't in Elisha. And I believe Elisha knew that if he would have went eyeball to eyeball with Naaman, Naaman would have given him the credit. And Elisha is saying, for this miracle, this one, this miracle happens, not anything to do with me, but because the God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords is the one that's going to touch him and, and he's obedient to his word, that is when he'll experience the miracle. And Elijah knew what he needed. And so he doesn't even make eye contact with Naaman. He says, you go down to the river and you dip seven times. You don't need me to say anything fancy. 
There's nothing magical about the Jordan River. There's nothing secret formula about dipping seven times. All that mattered was Naaman's response to the word of God. Naaman's response to the promise of God. And the same is true for the miracle that you need today. For the miracle that you need in your marriage for, for the miracle that one of your children need, for, for the miracle that you, you can't sleep at night because you can't figure out the solution, or, or, or you have been wrestling with, with this depression or anxiety or the things that you are dealing with, the same is true for that miracle that you need today, that you can take God's word at face value, even if it feels ridiculous. And that you can learn from Naaman's mistake and you can reject pride and choose obedience. Here's my favorite part about this, this scripture, this, this word today. Naaman made a ton of mistakes. I mean, I just highlighted four. There's, there was even more. He was not the poster child of faith. He trusted the wrong people. He rejected the original instructions. He wanted to control God's plan. Naaman, he was, had no faith at all. He just had his money in his bag and said, I'm going to go there because this might be a way that I can get rid of this leprosy that's bothering me. But even still... Even still, verse 14, he went down, he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Let me tell you about the king of kings. Let me tell you that the Father God, the maker of heaven and earth, lover of your soul, you may have made a ton of mistakes. You may have trusted all the wrong people in all the wrong places, and you may be arguing with God right now about his instructions to you and trying to control his plan for your life, but God reaches down, and in his profound grace, he gives you the miracle that you need. He cleanses Naaman from leprosy. Naaman does nothing right, <laughs> but he restores him, and he can do that for you today. I believe that Naaman is such a picture of our salvation from sin, our freedom from leprosy. Do you see that connection that by the grace of God, we respond in faith and we are cleansed and we are healed and we are set free. And that's what God asks each of us to do, to seal our, our salvation and who God is. And then when we need a miracle, he asks us to come back to the same principles that will never earn it, that will never buy him out. We'll never have enough faith that we gusto up to just, just control that this is how it's going to go. We come to God in our brokenness and in our mistakes and in his profound grace. He says, if you obey and you walk in my word, you will see miracles. I've done it before, and I will do it again. That's what he says. So would you stand up? The worship team's going to come. They start coming because I get excited. They know I'm like, I'm drifting in there. We're going to sing this song again. It's called Miracles. But here's what I want, I want us to do. If you are here and you haven't trusted Jesus with your whole life, you haven't repented of your sin, you haven't believed in your heart, you haven't confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord of your life, I want you to know that that is the first and best and greatest miracle that you can ever experience.
In fact, that's the miracle we're after this morning, is the miracle of a heart that turns itself to, 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 the, to love the Lord and to come into eternal relationship with him. In fact, that is what every week, every moment, that's why we come here. That's why we get here, right? It's because that is the decision that we have to remind ourselves of, that every day we say, God, you're Lord of my life, I choose you. I want you to forget about all the mistakes you think you've made, all the reasons that you are disqualifying yourself this morning to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, because just as he did with Naaman, he reaches down in his grace, and he wants to meet you right here. He wants to meet you right, right here this morning. Second, if you're here today and you need a miracle, big or small, I want us to learn from Naaman. I want us to not repeat his mistakes. Maybe even as I shared this morning, you're thinking, yep, did that, did that, did that. Throw in a couple more I won't tell anybody about. <laughs> I've made a lot of mistakes to get here. I certainly don't qualify for a miracle. I want you to, to, to hear the scripture say this morning that God is eager to meet you today in this place and he has your miracle and he hears you praying for it. Through all of your mistakes, through all of those things that you did that you, that you wish that you didn't. And I want us to sing this song in faith and I want to sing it as a prayer. And if you want to move from your seat and you want to fill up this altar space, I want to encourage you to. Again, there's nothing magical about the Jordan River and there's nothing magical about this space either. Sometimes it's just obeying the word of God. <laughs> when he says, hey, go up there, move up there, you do it. Don't wrestle with God about those kind of things because maybe he's watching to see if your physical body is moving, then your heart is moving in his direction too. And, and you being obedient to the word of God is what releases the miracle. This song was actually written um, by a worship leader out of Redding, California. And he, he wrote it after his baby boy had died. It was after. It was after he prayed that, that the baby wouldn't die. It was after he, he declared that God was faithful and that the baby wouldn't die. He wrote this song after it because he wanted to declare that even though it didn't work out the way that he tried to control the miracle, that God is still the God of miracles. That God is still the God who works wonders, that he is still moving and that he is still good. And just this morning, I. I want you to take just everything right now that, that you're wrestling with, everything you brought in with you this morning, everything that, that feels complicated and frustrating and, and without an answer and foggy. And I just want you to declare this truth over it this morning, that God, you are the God of miracles. I don't, I don't always see what you're doing. I don't always understand why you're choosing to work it out the way that you are, but you are the God of miracles. And I'm gonna sing it until I believe it. And I'm gonna sing it until my faith rises up inside of me. And I'm gonna sing it until I can declare it even over something that, that I don't see the result the way that I expected it to. Jesus, we come before you. And God, we want to trust the right person. We want to, to not try to, to earn or, or, or make our, our miracle happen, God. We don't wanna to try to control the outcome. We simply wanna stand before you and say, God, we trust you. You're the God of miracles. You can do it how you want to do it. You can do it how you say that you'll do it, but God, you will do it because you're the God of miracles and we have confidence in your faithfulness. And God, as we sing this this morning, I pray that faith would stir up all over 
this morning, faith in those that, 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 that are, are just dreaming and chasing after something that, that they haven't seen the miracle yet. And God, I pray for those that are making, maybe for the very first time, a step toward Jesus. And I ask, Lord God, that even in this moment, they would feel that miracle, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name that they would take a step toward you, they would repent of their sin, and just simply say, you can pray a prayer like this, God, I trust you, I love you, I'm sorry for the sin in my life and the mistakes I've made, but God, I know that through your blood and your death on the cross that I can come into relationship with you. God, thank you for that miracle. Thank you for that miracle. Let's just sing this together as a prayer.
God, we trust you today. We trust you that you're working even when we don't see it. We trust you for the miracle. We trust you that, God, you've delivered those even in this moment, Lord. And we will tell each other, we will, we will just encourage one another over these days and weeks to come, God, because we've seen you work and we've seen you do it again. Lord, we're trusting you. We love you, God. You're, you have a perfect track record, God. Your faithfulness is perfect, and that is where we put our confidence. God, it is in your name we pray. Amen.